All right, everybody, I have the extraordinary joy of preaching God's word to you again this morning on this Resurrection Sunday morning. And so if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them with me now uh, to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the words will be projected on the screen for you to follow along as well. Here at Redeemer Fellowship, we, we've been preaching our way through uh, this book of Exodus. We've been preaching exegetically, chapter by chapter, at times verse by verse. Uh, Exodus, the second book of our Bibles, is a very important book in our Bibles. Not just because of the encouragement and, and the strength that it can give to us, but also because it really is the theological heart of the Old Testament. What we find in this book, particularly through the Passover and the Exodus from Egypt, which we're going to study today. These things are absolutely central to God's entire story of redemption for his people. They are so important. And so as we continue to read every word of this book together progressively, week by week, let me encourage you to lean in this morning with anticipation and with faith. We're going to read Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 28 together. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will fall, befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. 
On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Isn't it true, friends, that big moments in life are to be remembered? Right? When something significant happens, we don't want those things to be quickly forgotten. Birthdays, for example. Today is my son Nathan's birthday. It's also Maurice McGuire's birthday. Being born is an important thing, a memorable thing. Adoption days, the day we welcome a child into our family through adoption, we definitely want to remember that. Anniversaries, us husbands try desperately to remember when they are, sometimes imperfectly, but we know we should remember them. Every September, we as a church family celebrate our anniversary. We want to remember the great things that God has done for us over these last five years. And oftentimes, we remember things not just to celebrate, but also to instruct, to help us keep moving forward. Cancer survivors remember how many years they have been in remission, both in order to celebrate and also in order to continue to pursue healthy living. In Alcohols Anonymous, we celebrate how many days we have been clean or sober, 30 days, 60 days, 1,000 days, and more. We, we remember in order to not return to our old bondage, to our old addiction. Church, we often remember in order to celebrate and to instruct, and it's the same with the Passover, 
God was about to do great things for his people in Egypt. Redemption, rescue was coming, and he never wanted them to forget what he had done. He wanted them to remember both in order to celebrate and in order to look forward towards what he was still going to do. And friends, this Easter morning, we too remember. We remember what God did for his people in Egypt through this first Passover meal and what he would do for his people, for for all of us, so many years later on another Passover night when the ultimate lamb would be slain for his people. The main idea for our sermon this morning is this. God has passed over our sins because of the risen and reigning lamb who was slain. God has passed over our sins because of the risen and reigning lamb who was slain. And we have five points this morning. The fear of Passover, the flesh of Passover, the feast of Passover, the faith of Passover, and the future of Passover. Let's begin with the first point. Point number one, the fear of Passover. The the, the ten plagues against Egypt have been terrifying to watch. God, over these last few weeks, has brought personal and specific judgment against Pharaoh and all of the gods of Egypt. Blood, flies, frogs, boils, hail, darkness. These, These were terrifying events of God's judgment. But here's the thing. These events were scary for the Egyptians, but not for the Israelites. Over the last three weeks, we we have seen repeatedly that God has made a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelite people, a distinction of grace and mercy. Even while he justly judged the Egyptians for their sins, he had grace for his people. There were swarms of flies everywhere in Egypt, but not in Goshen. Livestock died in all the fields, but not one of the livestock of Israel died. Darkness covered the whole land of Egypt for three days, but the text says that in the land of Goshen, which is within Egypt, there was light. Again and again and again, God has made a distinction, and and through that distinction, God was showing the Israelites that they were his chosen, precious people, his special people, his firstborn son. He was showing them kindness even as he rightly poured out his justice and judgment on Egypt. But listen, the tenth and final plague is different. God does not automatically spare the Israelites from this plague like he did for the other nine. In chapter 12, we see that God is coming in judgment to kill the firstborn of every house and There's no distinction made. He's he's coming to judge Israel as well. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And then verse 12, we realize that that includes the Israelite people if they do not do what God instructs them to do. To Egyptian and Israelite alike, God says, I will pass through the land and strike down all the firstborn. This is a fearful thing. Imagine how fearful this would be. God clearly has the power to do what he says. He's proven that through the nine other plagues. He certainly has the ability and the right as a holy God to do this. And I think that you and I instinctively shrink back and recoil at this thought. 
it's one thing for, for God to judge other people, right? Egypt has sinned a lot. Pharaoh is bad. He's stubborn and violent. It's right for God to judge him and his people. But, but us? Why us, God? We, we've done our best. Why aren't we spared? We've done our best to live a good life. Shouldn't, shouldn't you have grace for us? Friends, as, as Christians, we can be very comfortable with the idea of God's judgment when it's coming against other people. We, we like God's justice when it comes against our enemies. We celebrate it then. But as soon as that justice and judgment begins to turn towards us, I think we want to cry foul. God, why? Why are you judging me? I'm a good person. I've done good things. Why would you judge me in this way? But my friends, here is the reality from God's word. Even as we saw on Friday night together, if you are more surprised by God's justice and judgment than you are by his grace and mercy, you either do not fully understand who God is or you do not fully understand your sinfulness before him or both of those things. The reality is that before a holy God, we're all guilty. We all deserve death. The, the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so listen, the miracle, the truly shocking and amazing thing is not that God would judge us, but rather that he would ever have grace upon us. That's the amazing thing, that he would ever forgive you of your sin. That is what should shock and amaze your soul. This is what should make our head, us scratch our heads and wonder, why would God have mercy on someone like me? It's truly amazing. Listen, there was a lot of fear during the first Passover. Death was coming. Death was coming to all. It was unavoidable, except, except for those who heard God's word and did what he commanded. In his great and just judgment, God also had great mercy on Israel. He found a way to spare them from death. And that brings us to our second point, point number two, the flesh of Passover. So, some of you know this about me, but I am actually a bit of a germaphobe. I have reasons for this, but it is the reality. I, I like things to be clean, particularly my hands. I love hand sanitizer. It's one of the greatest inventions in the world. Part of liking clean hands is that I don't like to handle messy things. I really don't like handling raw meat in particular. When Ashley needs my help in the kitchen to, to knead the, the ground beef for burgers or, or like this past week to cut up raw chicken for a meal, that, that is an act of love on my part. In those moments, I really think about becoming a vegetarian, but then I eat the burger and I say, forget it, it's worth it, I'll do it. But listen, just this week, I was cutting up a bunch of raw chicken, and I was, I was thinking about what it is. It's weird to think about. It's flesh. It's muscle. It's the body of an animal that has been killed. It's supposed to be messy. Friends, what we have in this text is messy as well. God says that he is coming to kill the firstborn of every household. Church, between the Egyptian nation and the Israelites... We're talking millions of people, thousands and thousands of households. Can you imagine how much death this represents? This, this is very, very messy, and it becomes even more messy when God says that every household needs to kill a perfect lamb, right? Verse 6 says you are to kill it. They, they were to slit its throat. That, that means blood. That means a lot of blood. 
that then they are to get even messier with the blood. They are to take it, verse 7, and they are to paint the doorways of their house with it. The way into their home is to become a pathway of blood. Then what are they to do? Verse 8, they are to eat the flesh. They're to roast the meat and they are to eat it, consuming it, making the flesh, in a sense, part of themselves. Folks, this is a very physical, very messy, very bloody experience. Verse 6 says that the, the entire congregation of Israel is to do this at one moment together at twilight. Think about the sounds and the sights and the smells of all of this happening. Goshen, where the Israelites lived, it had been a peaceful and quiet place during the first nine plagues. Goshen, Goshen was not peaceful in this moment. Goshen was not peaceful. It was not quiet. No, it was violent and loud and messy. Goshen was a bloody place. Why? Why the lamb? Why the death? Why the blood? Church, because God's judgment is violent. The wages of sin is death. God's judgment comes against us in our sin and we've seen throughout studying the plagues that the Hebrew word itself for plague, it actually means to strike. It means to take a blow. It means to hit. It's a violent act of God. God's judgment is violent, which is why God's strategy for preserving his people also was violent. He must punish sin. But friends, in this moment, he says, I have now created a way to be rightly, justly violent towards your sin, because that is what your sin and my sin deserves. He says, I will be violent against your sin, but I will be violent towards someone or something else. This lamb and its blood will be your substitute. What a glorious word. This is what the Passover is all about. Penal substitutionary atonement. God must punish sin in his holiness. But in his great and eternal love, he desires to pass over his chosen people. But in order to do that, he's got to find a substitute. He's got to express his justice. And so he does upon the lamb. Someone's flesh must be torn. Someone's blood must be spilt. And friends, the reason why this Passover becomes so central to God's people from this point forward in the Bible is because it is the perfect preview of the, the gospel that we celebrate today. The day on which another Passover holiday was being celebrated. So many years later when Jesus, the very Son of God, the perfect, spotless, righteous, pure Lamb of God, he would celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples. And up in that upper room, he would celebrate it, but he would not talk about the Lamb in Egypt. No, he would talk about himself, his own flesh and blood. And he would say to his people, he would say to us, eat and drink in remembrance of me. Jesus, the, the spotless lamb who would die during the Passover week at the exact time that all the Passover lambs were being sacrificed. His, his flesh was torn. His blood was spilt out. Church, church, the flesh and blood of Exodus 12, it is a preview of everything that we celebrate this Easter Passover week. This, this is a preview of the flesh and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who would die on that cross for our sins. The fear of the Passover, the flesh of the Passover, and this leads us right into the feast of the Passover. 
As I mentioned earlier, it is my son Nathan's 14th birthday today. He's serving down in Redeemer Kids because he's awesome. But this dude does not let us forget that his birthday is coming. He gives daily reminders from like 12 months back. Why? Because he does not want us to forget. It's, it's important to him. Friends, God does not want us to forget the Passover either. Why? Because it's very important to him. God knows that we are a forgetful people, but God knows that, that if he does not help us, he will for, we will forget the things that are far more important than birthdays and anniversaries. And church, this is why we have the Passover week. This is why we celebrate Easter, because God wants us to remember. Look at what the text says in verse 2. God says to Moses, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. This moment in Israel's history is, is so central to what God is doing that it begins to be how they keep and tell time itself. Verse 14, God says that it will be a memorial. Verse 24, he says that you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. So clearly, the Passover is a big deal. Clearly, this moment is one that God wants to, to brand on the minds and the hearts and the souls of his people. And so what does he do? He creates a memorial. He creates a feast. He creates a celebration, a festival. The, the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we read about in this text, are, are events that go hand in hand. They, they are given by God to remember what happened here in Exodus. So what exactly do they help us to remember? They help us to remember our salvation from Egypt. And in the Passover meal, the, the lamb is killed, and it is a sign of the substitutionary atonement that was brought about for them in that place, sparing them from the tenth plague. The lamb is, is cooked in bitter herbs for them to remember the bitterness of their bondage and their enslavement in Egypt. The bread was to be unleavened bread because it needed to be made in haste. It needed to be made in a hurry. They didn't have time for the, for the yeast to rise. God was delivering them right now. But Passover is a celebration of God's redemption from bondage and from slavery, first in Egypt, but ultimately through the gospel, amen? If God wanted Israel to remember his redemption through this Passover church, how much more does he want us to remember his redemption through the ultimate fulfillment of Passover, which is the gospel? And friends, this is why we celebrate Easter as loudly as we do. This is why we must remain gospel-centered as a local church family. God never wants us to forget. He never wants us to move on. This is why we preach the gospel every single week. This is why we celebrate Easter so loudly. This is why we refuse to focus on any theological idea or cultural issue more than the simple truth of the gospel. God wants his substitutionary atonement through his son Jesus to be remembered from generation to generation. And he wants us to remember it joyfully. Verse 27 says that they worshipped when God told them these things. There are somber moments in the Passover celebration. God wants us to remember the bitterness of our sin. He wants us to remember how we were dead 
and hopeless and broken and lost and condemned and full of shame for our sin. He wants us to remember the bitterness, but then, church, he wants us to remember how that bitterness has been removed. Israel rejoiced at what God had done. And church, this is what God wants from us as well. I was really encouraged last week because Rachel McGuire and her kids were talking to me, and I didn't know this, but they, they mentioned to me that I have this pattern of whenever I start talking about Easter, my legs start moving a little bit, and I start doing this dance. I had no idea that I was doing that, but I kind of like it. I think I'm going to keep it going. I might do it more, which is sorry for you because I'm a horrible, horrible dancer. But church, Passover, Easter week should make us dance. Jesus should make us dance, not just when we first become a Christian, not just for the first five years of being a Christian, but for our entire Christian life. The Passover, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the penal substitutionary atonement of our Savior on our behalf. This is everything for us, Redeemer Fellowship. I don't care how old or young you are. This is the greatest news in all the world. Children, this is for you. Kids, this is for you. High school students, this is for you. Crew, this is for you. Young families, this is for you. Middle-aged moms and dads, this is what you need. Older saints going before us, this is what you must hold fast to. This is everything for us. We should orient our entire existence, even how we tell time around this glorious reality of what God has done for us. Friend, are you looking for happiness? This is where you find it. Are you looking for purpose? Here is where it's found. This is where you find life. Church, dance with me. Let your soul jump before the Lord today. Feast before the Lord. As you eat your Easter lunch later today, do it with joy in your soul because you were dead. Your blood should have been spilt, but Jesus shed his blood for you. Amen. Oh, happy day. Happy day. He washed my sins away. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, praise the name of the Lord Most High. Oh, praise his name forever. Why? Because we were alone in our sorrow and dead in our sin. Lost without hope and with no place to begin. But his love has made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and our lives began. Let us feast. Let us celebrate. Church, we have the, the, the fear of Passover because judgment is real. We have the flesh of Passover because Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, gave himself for us. We have the feast of Passover because the gospel should make us want to dance. And now we have point number four, the faith of Passover. How do you get in on this goodness? How do you get in on the party? How do you experience the inexpressible joy of having all of your sins forgiven and being clothed in the righteousness of God and being fully accepted despite your many mistakes? How do you get in on that? If you're not a Christian this morning, it, it might be tempting for you to look at what it says in this text today and to think that it is a complicated thing to become a Christian. I mean, look, look at the many things that, that are needed to be spared. Look, look at the rituals. Look at the rules that are given. You, you might be tempted to think that being a Christian, being, being forgiven of your sins before God is a complicated and difficult thing. It's not. 
It's not a difficult thing. And friends, it is good for us to remember together this morning, whether, whether we are already Christians or not yet Christians, it is good for us to remember that all of this happens by simple faith in God. Faith in God, and specifically faith in His Son, Jesus, who died for us through simply trusting Him. Even though the, the, the feast has many different details to it and many things that the Israelite people needed to do, ultimately the, the, the point is that their faith was in Yahweh. And, and over all the gods of, of Egypt. It wasn't the lamb that saved them. It was who the lamb pointed towards. Verse 13 specifically says that the blood will be a sign for us. The, the lambs were killed and the, the blood was spilt. They were not the point though. They, they were just an arrow pointing to a much greater reality. A far, far greater sacrifice. They just pointed to Jesus. And I love how in verse 4, God says that if your household is too small to afford a lamb, you can share a lamb with your neighbor. I love that because it shows us that it wasn't the lamb itself doing the saving. It was the faith represented through the sacrifice of the lamb. And it's the same with us towards Jesus this morning. Friend, you may feel like you do not have a full lamb's worth of faith today. You don't have confidence that, that you can do all that God is calling you to do. You may feel weak and frail and like your faith is as thin as a thread this morning. Oh, friends, even that faith is enough. The Passover meal was not what saved these people. It was their faith, even their weak faith, in the God who gave them that Passover meal and who would ultimately give them their, his son. Jesus himself said that if you have faith such as a mustard seed, that's a little faith. That is enough. Faith is not complicated. Faith is very simple. Acknowledge your sins. Acknowledge that they deserve to be punished. Humbly admit that you deserve the judgment of God. But then take your eyes off of your sins and put them on the lamb who was slain. Put them on Jesus. Let his blood be painted on the door of your heart. Let your home and your heart and your entire world be covered by his blood. Believe that he died for you and that he was your substitute so that the wrath of God would pass over you. And friends, stay in that place. Salvation doesn't come through Jesus and then your perfect obedience. Salvation doesn't come through your strength and your, your morality, your resolve to live a good life. Salvation comes by being covered by the blood of Jesus alone. Verse 22 says, none of you shall go out of the door of his house. That's the summary of the Christian life. The Christian existence is one of staying under the blood. Don't go out from that place. Don't leave that place. Do not leave it behind and venture out into your own self-made religion. No, stay in that place. Stay under the blood of Jesus. This is what faith is. Saving faith is saying, I am not strong enough. I do not have what it takes to please the Lord. I deserve his judgment, but I am hiding myself in him. I'm hiding myself under his blood. And I know that under his blood is life and forgiveness and joy. And that is where we will remain. And as we remain there, your future, your future will be very bright. And that brings us to our fifth and to our final point, the, the future of Passover. We're, we're going to study this more in the weeks to come. But what we need to note this morning 
how God calls the Israelites to partake of this meal and to celebrate this feast. There's some very strange instructions here. Verse 11 says, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. Why did they need to eat the meal in this way? Because this feast was a sign of God's deliverance. This plague that was coming is the final blow against Pharaoh, and now God's people are going to be released from their bondage. The the next day, they will walk through the Red Sea on dry ground, never to return to Egypt again. And so, God wanted them to partake of this Passover meal with a physical demonstration of their faith for what God was about to do in their lives. He, He was going to do things so that they might leave bondage behind. So that their old life might become a thing of the past. He had them eat in this way, in a hurry and with haste. So that they would not spend time looking back, but rather looking forward to the future. He had them sweep out all of the leaven from their homes. Because leaven is a biblical sign of sin and how it spreads in our lives. And God wanted them to to respond to his glorious redemption by, by leaving their old lives, their old sins behind. And choosing to move forward into a bright future of grace. Church, this is what God is calling us to as well. The future of the Passover meal is the bright future of God's grace and mercy. If he ultimately did not spare his own son, how much more will he give us all things? Church, how bright, how glorious is our future? How much do we have to look forward to? And how much should we demonstrate our faith in this Passover lamb by by cleaning out our lives of all the old leaven and saying, yes, you are worthy, Jesus. Yes, you are worthy of our lives. Yes, you are worthy of our obedience. Yes, you are worthy of our devotion and our praise. We will not stay in our old lives a second longer. We're ready to go. Lead on. And friends, how much more true should this be of us on this side of the cross and resurrection? We can imagine that that after this point, this memorial is instilled in the Israelite people. We can imagine that for centuries, the Israelites kept this Passover meal putting on their sandals, putting on their belt, holding their staff, eating the meal. We can imagine that they did it by faith, but we can imagine that they were very tempted to ask the question, but God, where are we going? Sure, we're not in Egypt anymore, God, but life still hurts. Life is still hard. It still feels like we're under oppression. They must have felt that. We, we often feel that, don't we? But Christian, we have even more reason to keep looking to the future than they do. Why? Because the ultimate Lamb of God was not just another sacrificial lamb who remained dead. No, Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. He he rose triumphant over the grave. He defeated our greatest enemies. And so now we know, now more than ever, that our future is very, very bright. In fact, it's never been brighter. Church, the empty grave shouts hope to your soul this morning. Yes, we still feel the shadow of Egypt in our lives. Yes, we still feel the weight of our sin. But when Jesus' heart started to beat in that tomb again, the end of the story was written. And it's a glorious end to the story. At the end of this story, 
At the end of our text, in verse 27, it says the people bowed their heads and worshipped. They knew that God's word is trustworthy and true. They knew that even though trials remained, their future was bright because God was on the move. And Redeemer family, we too can bow our heads and worship. In fact, this is exactly what everyone who is covered by the blood of Jesus will do for all of eternity. Because the bondage of our sin and the bondage of death has been defeated once and for all. When the last day comes, it says in Revelation chapter 5 that they sang a new song. Saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. John says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. We will worship the Lamb who was slain for all eternity. The, the scars on his hands and on his feet, they, they will remind us of the bitterness of sin and the judgment that we deserved. But church, we will not see on that day a lamb who is slain. We will see a lamb who was slain, but who is now risen from the dead and who has received power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. He shall reign and we shall reign with him. Because of the resurrection, we will spend all eternity joyfully living for and worshiping the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen.